0: When at last my life has ended and I enter heaven's rest, I will live in God's eternal peace in the dwelling of the blessed. All my pain. tears will all fade away, golden light will glisten from the throne of God, no more night, just perfect day. Going home, going home, I will enter there by grace alone. A choice my heart has never known Going home There are times when day is ending And my work is almost done When I scan the far horizon And I watch the setting sun I am dreaming of that city With its gates of pearl and crystal sea I see Jesus reaching out his nail-scarred hands waiting there to welcome me. Going home, going home, I will enter there by grace alone. Oh, what choice my heart has never known. Going be past, I will rest within my Father's house, safely home, home at last, safely home, home
1: The older you get the more um, uh, I guess uh, the more that song means to you you know uh, it should mean a lot to us all the time but let's be honest we think we're going to live forever but uh, you know the older you get uh, the more you realize that's not the case and that kind of song there reassures us and once again encourages us that we have so much more to look forward to boy do we ever Matthew chapter 20 today, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 29. Matthew chapter 20. We're in the midst of our, I guess you'd call it a soul-winning campaign, and uh, for the next couple more weeks yet, we're going to be out knocking doors. We've been out on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and then Saturdays as well, and uh, we've had a tremendous turnout. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was probably at least 10 or more souls that were saved, I believe, over the last uh, three days. Um, I know we were up to seven by the end of Thursday, and I know that yesterday we had some more come to Christ, and so that was exciting. And of course, the goal is not just to see people saved. We want to see them ultimately find their way to the house of God, And be encouraged and ultimately instructed so that they too will recognize uh, their place and purpose in God's economy. And so we're excited about what God's doing. And uh, so uh, kind of along that lines, we're going to be speaking a little bit today. And so I trust and hope this will be an encouragement to you. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men, sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. The multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Jericho is an extremely familiar city in the word of God. If you spend any time in God's house as a child or Even as an adult, you've probably heard about the walls that came tumbling down. But the city itself has continued to revitalize from time to time, and even in Jesus' day, Herod the Great had fortified it and built a number of palaces there. It was the place where he ultimately would go and die. It was also Jericho that Jesus accepted the hospitality of the publican Zacchaeus. It would be Jericho that the Lord's story of the Good Samaritan was set. It was a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Again, Jericho, a very popular city in Bible times. Here we find two blind men sitting by the wayside, crying out for mercy, Jesus is passing by, and their cries draw the attention of the Master. I want you to take your Bible now and look over the book of Mark now, Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, notice verse 46, we're going to read the same account, which is just slightly different. You're thinking, well, okay, that's interesting, two blind men ultimately receive sight, but I think you're going to recognize the story or the account a little bit more clearly here in Mark. Look at chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as they went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Oh, you say, I've heard of blind Bartimaeus. Well, this blind Bartimaeus was one of the two men that we read about in the book of Mark chapter 20. The Bible says that blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging, verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many changed, charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Immediately received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. There are a couple slight differences between the reading in the book of Matthew and the reading in the book of Mark. Very, very little difference. Except we do find here in this particular passage, we find one beggar and not two. That doesn't mean that Matthew was. Uh, incorrect. No, there were two. It doesn't mean that Mark was wrong. It just means that he's focusing his attention on one. I got to thinking about this myself and I thought isn't it interesting how the Lord Jesus Christ responds to the multitudes. In this case there were two, but can I tell you that he's actually a very personal Savior because in the book of Mark now we see him referring to an individual by name. Can I tell you that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ recognized you as an Individual, he may have died for the sin of the world, but he died for you. Amen. That's, right. Amen. That's important to remember. He was like God, so impersonal. He's so far away. I, I, I just such a God, so big and so far away, and he just doesn't seem to care about me personally, my personal situation, my personal needs. He does care. Amen. So in this account, we see one beggar versus. Two, in this particular account, we hear one voice instead of two. but they are both correct, and they're based on the writings of two separate individuals as they viewed it, one getting more specific, one getting more detailed. I like that God allowed the writer to get specific, because that says to me that he gets specific. I want to note another thing that I thought was interesting in our account in Mark. Notice it says, and he immediately received his sight, verse 52, and followed Jesus in the way. I kind of like that phrase, in the way. He didn't say that he followed Jesus on the way, on his way, or on the way. He said in the way. Now, I think there's a difference between on the way and in the way. He could have followed Jesus on the way. He could have said, You know, here's a multitude following Jesus. I'm going to join the multitude. But the Bible specifically says he joined in the way. He followed him in the way. In what way? In the way that Jesus lived his life, in the way that Jesus commanded. He began to walk in the way of the Lord. It didn't just change his life for a moment. It didn't just change his life for a minute when he received his sight. No, it continued to affect his life. And not only did he receive his sight and walk accordingly, but he also received spiritual sight, and he walked in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, when you received your spiritual sight, when you finally trusted Jesus as your Savior, did it change your walk? Because if it didn't, my friend, maybe you never did receive it. Because see, this blind Bartimaeus, he began to walk in the way, not just on his way. Oh, I love the Lord. Do you? According to our Sunday school lesson this morning, if you keep his commandments, that's proof positive you know him. If you don't, then you have reason to question that. In the way. So a couple of things we notice in the passages, they were headed out of town. Obviously, their work in that particular city, Jericho, was done. They were moving on. But then they heard the cry. I mean, in this particular case, we recognize that the cry was extremely loud. There were those that were sitting on the wayside, on the side of the road as the multitudes moved by, crying out, Oh, Jesus! Oh, Jesus! Thou Son of David! Man, it was a loud cry. But there were multitudes, and there was much busyness and activity. And I don't know, Jesus may not have even heard them, but the disciples did, and others around heard it. That cry was loud, and it was persistent. They just would not stop. And the Bible tells us that Jesus stood still. He must have got wind of it. He must have heard it. He must have somehow. I, he stopped and stood still, the Bible says. I'm sure his schedule was full. I mean, he was headed out of the town. He had already done what he had gone there to accomplish, and now he is leaving town. I'm sure that he was probably extremely tired and in need of rest. He didn't just arrive there. He had been working there. He had been serving there. He had been ministering there. And now he's leaving, and they're following him. He just can't get away from the multitudes. He probably needs to sit down, or he needs to lay down. He needs to rest. But no, he stands still now. He stopped and took time to respond to the cry of this poor, helpless, and seemingly hopeless blind man. I mean, the blind man was nothing to him. At least that's how we would see it. I mean, is he really related to him? Is he really blood kin? No, he's just a blind man seated on the side of the road. Why in the world would he stop? Well, of course, he's God. He has to stop. Really? Really? He was the God-man, so he had the same kind of inconveniences in his life that you may have, that I may have. He was busy, like we said. He was tired, like we said. He was on his way to the next mission, to his next duty. Man, he had to stop at the gas station before going home and picking up, uh, going home and eat. I mean, he didn't have time to stop and talk to a poor blind man. What would cause him to do that? The Bible tells us what caused him to do that. He had compassion on him. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, we read that. The Bible says, so Jesus had compassion on them. Now, we don't read that he had compassion on blind Bartimaeus. At least we don't read it in that particular passage. But we read it in that other account, that Jesus had compassion on them. You know, Jesus has compassion on everyone. He says, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What he says, what do you want me to do for you, man? What do you want me to do for you? And as busy as he was, as tired as he must have been, Jesus honored the request and met the need of this man. The Bible says, and immediately he received his sight. I like that. You know, I grow a little weary with all these healers. Bothers me. It bothers me that you've got to touch them more than once. Oh, I know. We have the example of Jesus in the Scriptures. When he went ahead and he healed that blind man, and the man saw men as trees walking about, and he said, hey, come back over here, let me finish the job. What had really happened is he healed him too good, and he saw men the way Jesus sees men as trees. I don't have time to go into that. It wasn't that he didn't heal him. He healed him too good. But I'm tired about all these healers, supposedly, that got to, well, you'll lose your healing too if you don't believe. Well, Really? I wonder if these guys lost their sight. Right. I don't think so. They were immediately healed, and they were forever healed of that particular infirmity. As busy again as they were, he said, I'm going to heal you. Now, just a side note again. It's important to realize that Bartimaeus would follow Jesus, as we said, in the way. He receives his sight, and now he's following Jesus in the way. Wow, what a wonderful truth that is. So what are we to learn then from this encounter recorded for us in Matthew and Mark? I'm going to give you three simple thoughts. I mean very simple, and we're going to be done. I told Brother Cavanaugh, 20, 30 minutes max. That's it. You believe me, right? You hurt me when you doubt me like that. (laughs) Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, bless us again. We need you. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Thank you for this encounter that you have recorded for us and the ability that we now have to look back on it. May it be an encouragement to us today, and may we, Father, be instructed and inspired. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. In Christ's name, amen. So what are we to learn then? What are we to glean from it? Well, first of all, can I tell you, we learned that blindness is a picture of the lost. Blindness is a picture of the lost. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. So what do we learn from this? Well, blindness is a picture of the lost. When I say lost, I'm talking about those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior personally. Have never at one point responded to the, the, the call to come unto Him. They haven't yet acknowledged their sin before a holy God and, and, and cried out for mercy. Blindness is a picture of the lost. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, notice the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Again, the God of this world. You say, who's that? It's a contradiction. No, it's not. There is a little g God, and it is none other than Satan himself. And he is blinding the minds of humanity from Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. If that gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Because as long as you're lost, you are blind to the spiritual truth. And this God, this God of this world, this little G God, is in the business of continuing the blindness. He doesn't want the blinders removed. He doesn't want the lights turned on. He doesn't want you to have a path in which to travel that makes sense. He wants you to meander aimlessly in this world. Blindness is a picture of the lost. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I want you to note the contrast now that the Lord Jesus Christ places, that God places here in the Word of God between those that are lost and those that have come to know Jesus as their Savior. Notice the contrast Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. On one hand, we have those that are lost, that are in darkness. Notice again, the Bible says here that their understanding is darkness. They are even alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. There's a blindness, a spiritual blindness. And on the other hand, he says, I testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. That's not the case with you that know Christ as your Savior. That's not the case. It's wholly different now. Where once you meandered about aimlessly, where once you sought for direction and leadership, where once you sought for light in order to light the path and the way, you don't have to worry about that now. You are walking in the light with Jesus Christ. You're no longer in spiritual darkness. You're no longer darkened in your minds. You have the light of life in you. Bartimaeus provides us tremendous insight into the plight of the lost and their great need, their greatest need spiritual sight. And by the way, can I tell you today that Christ alone is the solution? So we learn, first of all, that blindness is a picture of the lost. Number two, we learn that the lost are all around us and crying. They're all around us and crying. Do you realize that the lost have a void that only Jesus can fill? They literally, there's something missing. They are not complete. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It doesn't matter how complete they look, how well put together they may seem. There is an emptiness, and there is a void in their life. Mankind is tripartite. We are body, soul, and spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray... God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again that he defines for us the human. He says that humans are spirit, soul, and body, or we would say body, soul, and spirit. We are tripartite. We are three that are one. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Remember, we were created in the image Originally, Adam was created in the image and the likeness of God, and he operated and functioned completely in the garden, body, soul, and spirit in relationship to God, perfect harmony. But when he sinned and rebelled against God, when he totally disobeyed the commands of God, the Bible says that he died. Remember, the Bible said, if you eat of the tree, thou shalt surely die. Guess what he did? He ate of it, and he died. Not just Was he removed from the garden, began to age, and surely died? But he died spiritually. You say, what does that mean? That means that he still had his body, he still had his soul, but unfortunately, that spirit compartment that was alive to God and interacted with God and fellowship with God was now dead. He was now two cylinders instead of three functioning properly. He still had the three cylinders, but only two were working properly. Now he could not function, nor could he relate to God the way he did. He struggled now because that spirit was dead. He needed something to make him complete. And can I tell you today that every human being in this planet is functioning at at birth with only two of three cylinders operating and functioning correctly. And can I tell you that it's not until Jesus Christ moves into the life that you're complete and whole. Jesus seeks admission into your life and mine today. Look in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. That spirit compartment is dead, it's empty. You say, How in the world? I know people that are very spiritual, but they don't believe in Christ. It's because they have a spirit, but it's dead to God and it's being used by Satan. Oh, absolutely, it's real. Notice Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking now. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I understand that this doctrinally places us in that church, the Laodicean time, and we recognize a church that has closed its doors to Jesus Christ. I know that. And he's standing outside the church today knocking. And the church won't open. But can I tell you that you personally can open your heart's door to Him? Can I tell you that it's not until you open your heart's door and Jesus Christ literally takes up residency that you are finally complete. Until then you are incomplete. That's why He says, I stand at the door and knock. He's giving you an opportunity to become everything He intended you to be from creation. To ultimately be whole and complete and functioning and firing on all cylinders. Because see, Jesus alone can fill the void in your life. The world is seeking to fill that void through prosperity, pleasure, position, and just various pursuits. And this particular pursuits that we're talking about are voiced or described as being a search for purpose or meaning in life. What is the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? I turned my attention to a March 2018 Psychology Today article in order to find out. It was entitled, What is the Meaning of Life? Written by Dr. Burton M.D. He points out his view, and he begins by saying, The question of the meaning of life is perhaps one that we would rather not ask for fear of the answer or lack thereof. Still today, many people believe that we, humankind, I don't even want to go there. Still today, many many people believe that we, humankind, are the creation of a supernatural entity called God, that God had an intelligent purpose in creating us, and that this intelligent purpose is the meaning of life. I do not purpose to rehearse the well-worn arguments for and against the existence of God, and still less to take a side. But even if God exists... And even if he had an intelligent purpose in creating us, no one really knows what this purpose might be or that it is especially meaningful. Now, can I tell you that Neil or Dr. Burton's uh, answer uh, is found in his title. He ultimately describes to us and shares with us what he believes literally the purpose or meaning of life is in the title. And again, I only read you part of the title. Here it is now. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is that which we choose to give it. That's what he says. The meaning of life is that which we choose to give it. Even if you believe in God, there's no real, nobody really knows what the purpose would be, the real meaning of that would be. He doesn't really describe, he doesn't tell us, obviously. So it's really the purpose of life, the meaning of life, if you will is that which we choose to give it. It's whatever you want it to be. Just throw some things in a hat, grab one out, make it your meaning and your purpose for living, and you're good to go. Whatever you want it to be. Sounds a lot like our culture in every area today, doesn't it? So what do we find? We find folks searching a lifetime, trying to fill the void, but to no avail. They're still trying to figure out what... That void is. What's my purpose for existing? Why do I not feel complete? Why do I not feel whole? What is it that there is for me that I don't know exists? Why am I here? Not only do we seek purpose as human beings, but we also find ourselves searching for basic needs in our life. Things like love, joy, and peace. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, excuse me, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We find that the Spirit of God, once a person trusts and receives Christ, literally moves into him, takes up residency in him or her, and as a result of that, the fruit of that yieldedness to the Spirit is love, Joy, peace. things that every human being are searching for, things that they give their lives for. Can I remind you that it will not be social justice, higher wages, a cleaner environment, alternative lifestyles, acceptance or tolerance that will fill that void? It will not be political reform, police reform, government reform, or social reform that's going to fill the void. It won't be, a better, it won't be better technology or moral freedom or greater access to the internet that fills that void. And listen, none of us are ignorant to believe that there's not ground for change in our world, our culture, and our environment, of course, but only Jesus Christ and only him can fill the void that exists in your heart and in mine. Blindness is a picture of the lost. We also learn that the lost are all around us and they're crying. They're crying. crying. And then finally, number three, compassion is needed if we hope to hear their cry. Compassion is needed if we hope to hear their cry. Again, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, turn there again if you're not there. I want you to notice what he says or what the Bible tells us. Matthew 20, verse 34. Again, in this particular account, he's addressing and dealing with two of the beggars. And that includes Bartimaeus. Notice what he says or what the Bible teaches us and what Matthew reminds us of. Matthew 20, verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them you see that he had compassion on them boy compassion is needed do you know what the compassion did in Jesus's life it caused him to stand still and listen it caused him to stand still and listen now when I did that some of you thought about Hulk Hogan because you saw the figure You thought of it, didn't you? I know you did. I just thought I would mention it. (laughs) But it caused Jesus, that compassion caused Jesus Christ to stand still and listen. While the other disciples and those that followed were quick to try to silence these two men. Knock it off. The master's busy. We're headed somewhere else. We've already been to town. It's too late now. He's got things to do. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. Jesus stood still. You know, we're just too busy today to hear their cries, aren't we? But they are crying. I can't stand the world I live in. It's changing so crazy. It's upside down. Everything's a mess. Can I tell you, if you'll stop and listen, you'll hear their cries. I don't agree with them, and I think they're all out of their minds. Guess what? They're in darkness. They don't know any better. They're just trying to find a better way, and who can blame them for that? But the fact is, is that they're crying, and we're too busy to stop. Jesus, the Bible says, stood still. He took the time to listen. The unrest, the anger, the frustration, the desperation in our culture, our society is a direct resolve, a cry. Because they're empty. They're searching, they're looking for something to fill the void. The depression, suicide, broken homes and marriages, families being wrecked and ruined, the search for identity. It's all a cry for help. You know, we used to talk about teenagers that cut themselves and say, that's just a cry for help. Well, can I tell you, people that are looting and rioting are just crying out for help. Oh, I'm not saying that justice shouldn't be served. I'm not saying that we don't have to pay a price for our actions, but my friend, can I tell you, if you and I will listen with the ears that Jesus listened with, we will stand still and hear their cry. The greatest need in a life today is Jesus. It's not only your greatest need, it's everyone's greatest need. He is the need. The answer to every need. I wonder, do you have compassion for those hurting today? I mean, it's easy to see a mom or a dad suffering and have compassion. It's easy to watch a sibling struggling in life and have compassion. It's not difficult. When a close friend is having a difficulty, maybe their marriage is falling apart or their children are going wayward or things are falling apart in their job, and their, their career, and you say, man, I, I feel so bad for them. What about the world? You say, I know, but Jesus created him. And now Jesus lives in you. See, here's the greatest indictment in our lives, really, when it's all said and done. It's, it's natural for you and I to just keep walking. It's natural for us to just go, eh, I got things to do, places to go, people to see. You say, I know, and if I was Jesus, if I was God, I might stand still like he did. Hold on, I thought he lived in you. I thought he lived in me, based on the word of God. So my question is this. When Paul the Apostle says in Galatians, turn to chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm hoping my memory serves me well here. Oh, it did. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Yeah. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I want to ask you then as you walk through life who's really living in you who's directing and who's guiding and who's really listening? Is it your human ears? Is it your human objectives that matter? Or is it Christ in you that you've given leadership to? Because if it is, if we will yield to Christ, if we will crucify this flesh, guess who's going to say, stand still in our life? The one living in us. We walk right by the needs. We walk right by the hurting. We walk right by those that are lost in their sin and going to die and go to a devil's hell. We could care less in so many cases. What is the problem with us? We're not listening. Do you hear their cries? Well, you know what? I used to be involved in church, and I was really busy in the day. Uh, you still you hear their cries? but you know, I don't know enough about the Bible to really make a difference in their life. And honestly, I don't have a lot of money and I can't give a lot of things to... I'm asking you, can you hear their cry? Can you? You say, I'm having a hard time hearing it. It's probably because you've hidden the Holy Spirit in your life. It's your flesh that's taking rulership and it's my flesh that's taking rulership and it's easy not to hear the cry when we're like the disciples and going, hey, the master's busy. Hey, I got things to do. Hey, we've already been here. Hey, shut your mouth. Hey, I'm sick of it. But you can't help anybody when you got that attitude. Well we walk through this world and we better remember that it wasn't that long ago there was a void in our life. And thank God somebody was obedient to hear the cry and present the Lord Jesus Christ to us and share with us the hope of glory. Back in November 2020, Izmir, Turkey was struck by an earthquake that registered 7.0 according to the U.S. Geological Service. One of Turkey's largest cities, was literally devastated as the earthquake brought down houses, apartments, and multi-level buildings, literally injuring thousands and claiming over 100 lives. Rescues had been sifting through the rubble of a toppled eight-floor or eight-story building when they heard a child's scream, a child's cry. They immediately called for silence. Ibrahim Topol, the Humanitarian Relief Foundation, and his colleague who heard the scream recalled the moment. He said, my colleague and I looked at each other like, did you hear that too? We listened again. There was a very weak voice saying something like, And we shut everything down, the machines and any movement, and started listening again. And there really was a voice. After a while, the rescuers located the girl in a very tight space next to a dishwasher and pulled her alive from the rubble. She was wrapped in a thermal blanket, placed on a stretcher, and taken by ambulance to the hospital to the sounds of applause and chants of, God is great. From rescue workers and onlookers alike. See, the survivor was identified as three year old Ada Gizgin. The child had been trapped inside the rubble for 91 hours before being rescued. Can I say that fortunately for her that day, there were folks who were searching for those in need of rescue. Fortunately, they were listening very carefully. Fortunately, they heard the cry of this helpless and seemingly hopeless person. Society is broken. And an earthquake of moral. Magnitude, an earthquake of social and political uh, magnitude has erupted. And may I say that everything is turned upside down and people are being crushed and killed as a result? Can I tell you they're crying? But you can't hear the cry, and neither can I so often. We're so busy clearing away the, the, the brush and clearing away all the rubble from our own homes, we can't even get out and listen for those that are hurting. But they're crying they're buried, they're suffocating, and they're crying. Do you hear the cry? Can you hear them cry? I wonder, are you out in the rubble seeking to rescue those in need today? Or do we just get an attitude and say, you know what? They got what they have coming. I wonder, do you care? Are you listening? Can you hear their cry? See, the truth is if we don't hear their cry now, they will cry for eternity in a place called the lake of fire. They are blinded by the God of this world, they are meandering about aimlessly in darkness. I didn't come to church for a guilt trip, preacher. Then make the right decisions and choices, and you'll leave here happy. Yeah, amen. Can I tell you that you were one of those? You were like little three year old Ada. You were being crushed by the weight of the world, you were blinded by the darkness of the devil. You are without hope and incomplete without Jesus. But somebody heard your cry. I wonder, have you received the touch of the Master? In Matthew 20, 34, the Bible says, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Can I tell you that you need touch by the Master? Matter of fact, Jesus, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and sup with him and he with me. He's your answer today. You say, I feel hopeless, preacher. I'm really afraid of what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen in this world, and I certainly don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. Can I tell you, he's standing at the door and he is knocking. Open up! I want to come in! Amen. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be sensitive to the cry of the lost and those that are hurting in our world. It's tough enough with believers who have you and the issues that they face and the conflict that they must deal with, but Lord, for we who know you as Savior and Lord, We are blessed to have you with us always, but the world does not have you with them. I know you love them and you're seeking them and you're knocking at their heart's door, but Lord, they're incomplete still. You do not reside in them. You don't live within them. You're not taking up residency yet. I pray, dear God, that you would help us to be sensitive to their cry and seek them out and take Jesus to them. To offer them hope not only eternal life, but a better life in this world. And Father, for the person today who is lost, may they realize, Lord, that they need to experience the touch of you, the Master, and that they do that by receiving and accepting you. You said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Help us, Lord. If there's anybody in the crown today that has yet to receive and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may they do so. And you too will take up residency in their life like you did mine, and you'll provide them with hope and help and make them complete and whole. Father, bless us in this time of invitation and give us the courage to take and make decision on your behalf. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen.